everybody, and welcome to Friends of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Brad. And I'm your host, Sarah. And this week on the show, we are talking about Star Wars, The High Republic, The Battle of Jeddah, written by George Mann. And, oh boy, we're back on Jeddah. How exciting. And it's another High Republic book discussion here. on Jeddah, baby. The Holy City. I love it when we get to go back to Jeddah because it is so clear across you know, every story that we've gotten with Jeddah that has such a rich and complex history uh, with the Force and just with different peoples being there. Um, so I'm always happy to go back. And, and this was no obsession at the end of the day. I think that we should take our own pilgrimage to Jeddah and like just record like a bunch of podcast episodes in the Kyber mirrors beneath the Dome of Deliverance. Mm. I don't know what you well, think of that idea, but... Considering the Star Wars happened uh, in a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and we do know that the Holy City was um, genocided and blown up by the Empire, there might not be much there anymore to record you make a, in. You make an excellent point. Um, that did happen, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, scratch that idea. Right. But an idea that we're not scratching is talking about this book. So let's continue. Um, we're going to we're going to talk about this book today. Uh, full spoilers I, I, ahead. You know what? I, we've been doing this for a long time, but there's nothing that I love more than you just figuring out a way to transition. It's really I you know, you're really good at it. And I'm just I'm, I'm always so impressed. And I'm so sorry to the listener when I'm like, wow, that was a good transition every time. <laughs> Because Listen, it's not a novel we, thing, but I just really enjoy it, Brad. I really do. We are bringing the quality here at Friends of the Force. So if you like our episodes, <laughs> make sure you're following us on all of our socials oh and God. leaving a review. We got to blow this podcast up just like Jetta. So let's get started, I, folks. Um, before I we get into, said we wanted to continue podcasting, not end podcasting. <laughs> Before we get into today's book discussion, a couple of bits of news right up front that we wanted to discuss, one of which is High Republic related. So, uh, Sarah, do you want to kick us off with the, uh, I guess, first off, the non-High Republic related bit of news that we got um, in the last couple weeks? Okay. Guys? Gals? Folks in general? Star Wars Visions, Season Slash Volume 2 releasing on bay 4th on disney plus so many different Let's animation go. studios different styles uh of animation may the 4th visions okay guys let's go we you know we love visions in this house we really do visions is good quality food very delicious yum yum okay and we were so excited when, you know, there was a Visions panel at Celebration that we had to leave in the middle of because we had like a conflicting um, uh, photo op with Kelly Marie Tran. It was great. It was really good. Um, but I still regret having to leave. Um, and we got to hear that there was going to be a season two, which was so thrilling and um, made my little animation enjoying heart happy. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'll stop talking now. You go, you start talking now. Yeah. Total agreement with everything you just mentioned. Star Wars visions was, I think one of the the freshest takes on the Star Wars galaxy that we've ever had. So getting even more of that, um, this year, which we heard, you know, spring of 20, 
2023. We weren't really sure when, but May the 4th feels just right to get more visions. And now I have something to do that day. So uh, Star Wars fans have definitely been getting getting fed the last couple years. Um, just off the top of the top of the list here for short titles, which we did put all of those out on our Twitter. And you can also find those on uh, StarWars.com. I think they have a list of all the titles and all of the studios that are involved. Um, one of which is actually the first black owned studio, uh, anime studio in Japan, which is, which is awesome. So right off the bat, I am your mother jumps out to me from Ardman. Um, Ardman is also the, uh, a pretty like well-known company, uh, that did the Wallace and Gromit. So that, that's going to be really interesting to have that studio doing Star Wars and like what that animation style might look like. But, um, specifically the title you know, we talk a lot about mothers to Star Wars and the absence of mothers. So like right away, that one jumped out to me. I like want to know everything about the story. Is it is it a Leia and a Ben Solo story? I know it's not. But like, you know, my conspiracy head is like, oh, my God, we're going to get a Leia story in, in anime, you know. So who knows? But that one jumped out to me. I also um, I also really am interested by the Spy Dancer, um, which is from Studio La Cachette, which I believe is the French studio. Uh, and that's really exciting too, to get some, you know, just like more countries in the mix and get more of a, a varied perspective on the Star Wars galaxy from around the entire globe. And, you know, if visions continues past season two, I'd be curious how that's expanded even more or, um, you know, what the approach is moving forward. Cause James Watt at celebration did say that like Star Wars and anime have a, a very bright future. So I'm sure yeah. this will not be like the last of Star Wars anime for quite some time. Yes, I I also just say like honestly looking at all of the um like directors and their um bios my gosh there's there's a lot of really good short filmmaking in here um Paul Young uh he produced the animated feature My Father's Dragon Wolf Walkers Song of the Sea The Secret of Kells and The Breadwinner um you know multiple of those films have, were nominated for Oscars um Oh, and of course, we're getting one that's co-directed by Justin Ridge. Yeah, yeah. Star Wars yeah, Resistance I, alum. I mean, Justin Ridge has also like done Rebels, so many Clone Wars, <laughs> The Last Airbender. Like, you know, that's great. And he's, they're working with um, the studio in Japan, which is going to be exciting. So it's like, co right, or, and, I guess, co-done by Lucasfilm and them. Yeah. And oh my gosh, Journey to the Dark Head. I, that, that has a really fascinating title, In the Stars. Um, the one is just called Sith. Okay, Again. I lied. The I Am Your Mother is not the Ben Solo story. The one that's the Ben Solo story is The Pit. The, the Pit, yeah. I, I just yeah. think there's a lot that's going to be <laughs> cool to explore here. And I think we're also going to get a lot of different styles because I, you know, would bet that the Ardman one is going to be in stop motion. Um, I could be wrong. Yeah. But, you know, that's what oh, they're most be so known cool. for. So um, I... I'm really, I'm really excited. I'm really excited yeah. about this. And I just, I think that, you know, visions just expanded what Star Wars could be in so many ways that were so refreshing. So I'm looking forward to having more voices and more styles in the mix um, and continuing those sorts of stories. Yeah, totally. I, I, I cannot wait. And uh, May 4th is going to be even better because not only are we getting Star Wars visions, uh, we are also getting... Star Wars Young Jedi Adventures on Disney Plus and Disney Junior. So like, you know, the 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 show that is geared towards probably like 
under 10 year olds uh we will be there we will be no, watching literally like ages ages like four to seven Yes. No, we will be watching completely um, because somebody, this somebody is... said and I, la- I had a really good laugh about this on Twitter. Uh, somebody said and I apologize that I can't remember who tweeted this. It was a member of the High Republic community and they were like. People who will be sat for Young Jedi Adventures and it's like toddlers and queers in their 20s. And I was like, that's so real. That's, it's like, oh, no, it's me. <laughs> because oh Oh man high republic community i love you so much um but also young jedi adventures set in higher nubs nubs guys nubs Nubs? can we talk about nubs uh voiced by d bradley baker which is one amazing but like two nubs is the cutest thing no offense to grogu but like you have some competition now um people are obsessed with nubs already like i think nubs has become the the new star wars mascot like the the staple of the franchise. I already everybody's love obsessed nubs. with nubs. I saw somebody I, tweet, and I I apologize as well. I don't remember who it was, but they just said teeth, and it was like <laughs> nubs up close on the mouth, and then like uh, Gunji because Gunji also has the snaggle tooth. Right, yes. So like we love our our snaggle tooth Jedi in Star Wars. There was one more tweet that I have to mention, and again I apologize. We just are really not good at our sourcing our tweets today. We're just so excited. We just forgot to save anything. Um, and this tweet just reads nubs capitalism when (laughs) 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 which like yes let me get in on the nubs capitalism please i know you don't collect funko pops but the nubs funko pop that might that might be a little enticing for you i feel like a little bit or like the nubs black series give it to me no somebody else can get me the nubs funko pop you know i will i accept plushy let's go nubs plushy i'd buy a nubs plushy I want like a Niku plushie while we're at it, while we're putting in requests. Yeah. Yeah. Why um, not? Just pretend I he's in it. Young Jedi Adventures and say like, yeah, this guy's in there. No, like, I'm just, no, he's I'm not. just like, talking yeah, about yeah, cute, cute little guys, cute little guys, in, <laughs> cute little guys in the Star Wars that I just love and yeah, I want to do yeah. a capitalism for. <laughs> so for those of you who aren't aware, though, just in case. So uh, Young Jedi Adventures is like the first uh, animated series set within the High Republic. Uh, really first anything in the High Republic that's going to be on uh, TV. So. It follows Jedi younglings as they study the ways of the Force and uh, learn to become a Jedi, and that also includes Master Yoda helping these younglings out. Uh, there's Kai, Lys, Nubs, their friends Nash, and RG83 uh, on the planet Tenu. So uh, really, really exciting. The idea that you know, five to seven year olds potentially. I don't know if like younger than that. I, I think that's like, the right yeah, age. Yeah, like literally even younger than that. Like, yeah, I'm, like, like, like we're talking Dora the Explorer age. I think, yeah, yeah. They're going to be getting exposure not only to Star Wars, but to the High Republic. And like, I'm thinking of all the books that I read as a kid, like to think if I had the High Republic when I was in middle school and I got to just like devour those books, I, I would be so thrilled. So it's exciting to think that these kids are going to get that that gateway into this universe and then like have a whole slew of books to choose from and read and um identify with so like i think overall this is a excellent idea for a show and um i think it spells a long future for the higher public um beyond you know even when the books are done you know like i think it's going to have some longevity for fans so this is just a start and this is one that also like does have a slate of publishing announced with it and it's like level one readers and uh little golden books um so I am so excited for littles to watch the show and then to like 
have a story that they can also read in the book right away. Um, that's, you know, geared towards them and, um, you know, not with characters that are from other places, you know, like, uh, you think of something like, uh, spark, of, I think it's spark of the resistance by Justina Ireland and, um, a great story. Uh, but like, that's one where those characters are much older than the age range that that book is for. Um, and I, I like that. And, and like, there's a lot of value of that. And I think that's great. You can connect those stories to the movies, but I also like with these ones that, you know, the characters are littles as well. And that like the content that is, uh, the primary place where these characters live is exactly for the age range that the books are for, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So I don't know. Exciting. I don't know if that was the, <laughs> there's a lot of value in both things there, but yeah. 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 No, I totally, I totally get it. Um, but I cannot wait for May 4th, honestly. Um, it's I will have a one. lot to watch while I'm sitting in the shop Disney queue trying to get the new Star Wars Starbucks mugs. So oh, um, that's time. the good news for me. Yeah. What are they going to do this year? What year. do you think? Um, they better do Mustafar is all I'm saying. I, oh, I want yeah, Mustafar. Yes. Coruscant. Kashyyyk? I mean, like, Kashyyyk. Oh, Kashyyyk would be I would buy fantastic. You know? Yeah. Um, just so you know, May the 4th is on a Thursday this year. So. Okay. Okay. Just, cool, cool, cool. just everybody so that they can all prepare yourselves for when you need to wake up and, you know. Yeah, yeah. When you need to call out of work, that sort of deal. Yeah. No, I, you got to get on those mugs. They're, they're excellent. I always have them. <laughs> I have too many of them and they need to stop releasing them, but also please don't because I can't stop. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, that is the only news that we had on the show today. Very exciting future for the high Republic for star Wars visions and anime. Uh, cannot wait. But Sarah, before we get into our episode on battle of Jeddah, why don't you give us our bookstore of the week as always. Bookstore of the week. Every time we do a book-related episode, I like to share with you an independent bookstore that is cool and doing awesome things and maybe in your community. And uh, I need to do a better job of covering more places. But today, I'm sharing with you a bookstore from the great state uh, of Indiana, my neighbor, um, the Midwest. <laughs> so I am sharing with you uh, Brain Lair Books. They are in South Bend, Indiana, and they are open Wednesday through Sunday if you are in the area. Uh, they are a Black-owned, women-owned children's bookstore located in South Bend, Indiana, um, in the near Northwest Neighborhood Center. They love to partner with local schools and universities. Uh, they also specialize in juvenile and young adult literature written by and for the BIPOC, LGBTQIA plus communities, as well as disabled communities, as well as adult nonfiction about ending white supremacy, promoting anti-racism, and becoming a social activist. Uh, they seem awesome and super, super involved in their community, which I love. Um, I think that's a great, I think uh, independent bookstores are great ways to build connections with community uh, and to keep literacy alive and well, you know, in any area. Um, I did look up some Star Wars books. You can find them. At Brain Lair Books. They will ship them to you. You can find some in the store. Uh, and we were just talking about the Young Jedi Adventures. You'll probably be able to find those books um, when those books come out in Brain Lair Books as well. I know that today's book is not a children's book, but I love supporting children's literature anytime I can because there are quality books meant for young readers. And that doesn't mean that adult readers can't enjoy and get something out of these books as well. So highly recommend visiting uh, online or in person Brain Lair Books at brainlayerbooks.com. They have an online store and also a physical store. Amazing. We love when that happens. So that is, that is our bookstore of the week. 
Yay. Awesome. Well, shout out to, uh, to that bookstore. Definitely go support them if you can. Um, and any bookstores, uh, indie bookstores around the world that you are local to because they need your business, they love books, and they're not a giant corporation. So if you're able to give them money, do so because um, bookstores are the lifeblood, like Sarah said, of our communities and of, of knowledge and, and, and all the good things in life. Books, they're great. <laughs> we love books. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I also am, of course, very fond of bookstores, as we know. Books, books are great, and that's why we're talking about the Battle of Jeddah today. So, oh, that's um, without further, you know, just yeah, I try. <laughs> uh, with that being said, uh, full spoilers ahead. If you haven't read Battle of Jeddah, definitely turn back now, go experience it for yourself. But we will be diving into this. Uh, we'll talk about some of the uh, notable uh, moments in the book, our overall thoughts on the plot, and and all the other things that you can think of. So, let's get into it. So Sarah, uh, yes. Battle of Jeddah, we were, uh, we've been long awaiting this book ever since it was announced at Star Wars Celebration Anaheim. Um, you and I were like, oh my God, Jeddah, the cover, the temporary cover art was great because it just showed Jeddah and we're like, oh my God. Uh, and then we got <laughs> yeah. eventually the cover with uh, Creighton's son and Ada Four. Ada Four is a, is a Nikto Jedi. So we were very excited because we're huge Niku Vozo stands and we were like, it's great, true. we get a, a Nikto Jedi finally. This is like what we've always dreamed of. Um, eight of four is great. Can confirm great character, but what did you think of the battle of Jeddah? Like, what are your overall thoughts on the book? Um, you know, both good, both not so good. Like, how are you feeling coming out of this? And as we head into the end of phase two here shortly in the next couple of months, it feels like we just started phase two and now we're like past the halfway point. I'm like, Oh yeah, no, it's crazy. Wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say that this guys, I hate to say it. I really do. Uh, this was not my favorite. And there were elements of this that I really loved. I, I of course, was so excited to return to Jeddah. Um, I'm fascinated by the politics, the different religious um, things that are happening on Jeddah. Like, I love the setting and I love what's happening there. For me, this wasn't quite the story I was expecting, I think, from the name and title, The Battle of Jeddah. I thought to myself, oh, you know, maybe it's because I put expectations on it. Like, oh, this is going to be like the linchpin of the whole thing. You know, this has got to be a really important turning point. Um, and, it, and it was a turning point in some ways, uh, but it also put us just back to square one um, with, Iri I, oh, gosh, they say them differently in the audiobooks than I say them in my head. I say them Iriam and Arono, and they say Iram and Arono. Just, that, yeah, I, that would be correct. The fam, fam, fam <laughs> listeners, just roll with my wrong pronunciations, okay? Yeah, we're, we're trying. I we're trying our best I here. I can't do Iram. It hurts. It hurts. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, so this one was, was not my favorite. I, I didn't feel like it was paced as well as I wanted it to be. Um, and I didn't uh, love the... For for some books, the countdown clock works really well because you're going, oh, shit, like it's going to go down. But for me, I, I didn't quite feel that sense of urgency in the way that I would have loved to. Um, and and I felt like it was a little bit stop and go throughout this one. Um, that being said, I enjoyed the production of this audio drama. Um, I thought it sounded good overall. And um you know, it kept me engaged in that way. So I appreciated that. I'm in total agreement with you. Uh, the production quality on these, on these audio dramas have always been like top tier. I love getting 
the full cast, um, which is exciting because you just get an array of voices and performances and it really makes it feel like you are immersed in the Star Wars galaxy, which I love and the soundtrack and the sound effects. It's so great uh, for me as well. I, I really did come out of this a bit lukewarm and I know what you might be thinking in listener like, oh, God, they both, you know, are a little bit lukewarm on the book. Don't worry, there are still many things that we did really enjoy and, and want to pick apart. So like this isn't just going to be a more negative review. Like we will we will really balance those those two things. So stick with us. But uh, for me, I, I, I also kind of came out of it just middle of the road. I think uh, the countdown clock didn't necessarily work for me in the way I wanted, because I, I feel like for a book titled The Battle of Jeddah, we spent a lot of time building up to the battle and then the battle there wasn't came a lot and went, of battle, you know, felt. yeah. It was a lot of like every chapter would be like, OK, like 72 hours before the battle. And I'm like, oh, that's a really long time. That's like that's like three days, <laughs> you know, like, whatever. OK, it's like, oh, you got an hour left in the book and it's like 10 hours before the battle. And I'm like, wait, what? There's like not that much book left. Um, so that was a little that was a little different. I think the pacing didn't work out as well. And, and like you said, it could be a thing of expectation. Like, I think when we read the, the Fallen Star, despite our criticisms of that book, like it was really. Uh, filled with a great sense of urgency and like impending doom throughout it, which kept me wanting to turn the page. And I did a couple times struggle with wanting to pick this back up because of, you know, sort of the slow burn that happened in certain parts where there'd be like a big momentous shift in the energy. And then all of a sudden it was like stalled for a while. Um, And especially because there were like kind of two different explosions that happened in the book and you open with one explosion that isn't necessarily the first explosion that happens. And you're like, oh, wait, when are we getting there? And um, I did like how it hooked me right off the bat. But um, yeah, I think it was just uh, a little bit too slow for me. But I do love the characters. I do love the setting. And being back on Jetta is like so natural for the High Republic. And I think it was really exciting to explore that uh, that setting. And uh, it's also a setting that's being explored in Cavan's comics. And we're getting a lot of Jetta in phase two. And I, I appreciate that as always. Um, I think one other thing for me as well was I just struggled with the lack of a singular kind of anchor point of view. You know, we had like mm. Lorna D, who was the t- titular character. We have Afra, we have Dooku. They were all like the central character of the audio dramas. And I, I feel like there wasn't really that anchor for me in this book, which kind of made me feel a little lost among the varying points of view. And I, and I also struggle with audio dramas in general, like with voices and stuff. And that's a me issue. But I would have liked to have had more of a like, this is this person's book, you know, like I, I, I know Creighton and Ada are on the cover, but, it's, you know, it, then it was like, OK, Salandra is sort of the main character and now it's Creighton, you know, so it kind of jumped a lot for me. Yeah. yeah. So just a little bit disparate in that area as well for me. But I do love all the characters. They're awesome. Like, I, I really do cherish them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's interesting because when we got the first couple of audio dramas that were like first person narrated by a single character telling us a story. I felt a little bit like, oh, I wish we could get something more. Um, and then we got that with Tempest Runner. And I, I, I think it's also a little bit unfair to be able to, to have to compare this to Tempest Runner, which is our other High Republic audio drama, because, oh my God, I love that book. I love that book. Um, Lorna D, step on me. Anyway. Um, it rhymes. I know it does. It's just beautiful. Yeah. We love it. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so like I really love that one. And I think it did like a, 
larger cast, you know, multi POV well, but you know, at the same time it is anchored in Lorna's story. And I think maybe part of the problem that you're hitting on with this one is that yes, there are characters that are not new to us as readers who have read the other phase two stories. Um, but that being said, this audio drama also introduced us to a lot of new characters or characters that we really hadn't spent much time with. So not only do we not have an anchor, but we don't know anybody super, super well. Mm -hmm. You know, um, like we already knew Lorna Dean, her, her MO, you know, we already know Ventress. Uh, we already know Afra, and, and I mean, Dooku as well in, in that story, but like, um, the thing that we're probably anchoring to the most in the story is the setting. And so while I feel really confident in where we were, I felt less confident in who we were with. Yeah, correct. I, I, I agree with that. It's, it's difficult for me to latch onto a character when I'm not able to read their thoughts on a page and get into their mind. And mm. maybe that will change when I go back through the manuscripts for a second reread. Um, I know like the manuscript is really just the dialogue, so you're not getting much more added um, content, but you don't really get to get inside the minds of the characters as much when it's like this sort of audio play versus a narrative, like where you get to have those chapter point of views and you know what the character's thinking and feeling and all those sorts of things. That that is something I struggle with, and I hope maybe like in future books we do get a little bit more of their perspective because I think Creighton Sun's like a really interesting character, and um, Salandra Show I gotta say she's a really awesome Jedi, and um, I I really enjoyed her presence in the middle grade book, and I hope we get more of her yeah. uh, in the future, and I hope she doesn't get leveled because I was very worried about her at several points in this book, and I think, oh my god yeah oh my god uh, that yeah. was very very intentional to feel that like as a reader because they're like we know you like Salandra. Andra, so here are some here are some close to the leveler moments that you might you know want to uh be worried about uh and i hate that they did that but i also love it because that's my favorite thing and they did that with elzar in fallen star too you know so i, I love that <laughs> i literally there are, i'm looking at my notes because i was just like taking uh, stream of consciousness notes as i was listening to this and there were more times more than one time where i was like oh no are they dead and then my next note would be like nope she's just injured you know and so i literally <laughs> wrote uh-oh salandra is going after it dash she's dead and then like three <laughs> bullet points later it says salandra's not dead yet but soon and like she doesn't die you know like <laughs> i was so i was so convinced um but also i just want to just jump back for a second you mentioned oh the the script for the the audio drama and i i have to shout out to our our friends over at delray star wars slash now random house worlds as it says on this um book and all books going forward uh but this audio drama script is coming out you know as of the time that we're releasing this um i think comes out february 14th uh and the drama just came out last month in january so i love that for this drama you're going to be able to revisit it visit it super soon as opposed to waiting eight ten months a year for the uh script to come out so i love I love, love, love that because it allows us to dive a little bit deeper. It allows people who, you know, the audio format doesn't totally click with them to dive back in in a written word. Um, and it allows people who might have, um, you know, for any reason at all, the inability to listen to the audio drama to pick up the written book uh, and and in a timely manner. So I just want to shout out um, the publisher for that one because I think that's the right way to go for these. 
Absolutely. I the the waiting for the manuscript always made me so anxious. I'm like, I just want to I want to hold it. I want to hold it. I was it. like, uh, I need to know the spellings of a, their names. <laughs> yes, and this is a beautiful book as well. Like we just got ours in the mail a couple days ago, and it's uh, it's like a yellow hardcover. When you take off the dust jacket, the text on the side is yellow. It's got the new uh, Random House Worlds logo on the side, which really like sticks out, and it looks amazing. So uh, the quality of the book is is great. I think. Um, I think it's still like an essential book for the High Republic series. And I think like you're going to want it on your shelf if you can, because it just it looks nice on there <laughs> for your collection. Uh, and it's it's definitely a story that does, you know, while it does s- step back in the sense that the peace negotiations fall apart, it does move the story forward. And we are going to go into phase two wave two with some new challenges and some new revelations and probably some impending doom. Uh, with some of the titles that we're getting like cataclysm, cataclysm. and path for vengeance path of vengeance you know so we're we're like we're on the cusp so while we might have had the expectation that this was going to be the like explosive book that it was which it was it, ha- it definitely had ramifications and Jeddah does get destroyed in some sense right like the statue falls over which we've been waiting to hear about ever since we saw Rogue One like oh that was so funny I was like I know that statue <laughs> yeah they're like the protector has fallen we're like oh my god it's that Point, you know? pointing at the screen Leonardo DiCaprio right right so we got that we got some of those like just massive moments that we've been waiting for which is which was definitely gratifying um and I do feel for Jedi and uh, the wake of destruction that the Jedi feel they leave wherever they might be going in times like this. So and I think it's just the start of that, right? Like mm. 150 years later in phase one, there it seems to be like a lot going on with the Nile and, and the Jedi and wherever the Jedi go, destruction follows. So this is just like the beginning of, of like a new reputation for them in a way you know um and that will extend into the clone wars when they're fighting a a a civil war between separatist and republic it's like and we'll we'll get into that a little bit but uh but the jedi aren't bad i just they just kind of get themselves into i mean we could have a whole conversation about the morality of the jedi another time another time actually um maybe the jedi are bad but um they just increasingly get themselves into situations that maybe they shouldn't be in and i mean that's that's the whole conversation about the jedi and the republic uh which you know is one that definitely is touched on here that continues to get touched on in phase one of course and then by the time we're in the prequel trilogy it's like good job guys you've really done it (laughs) (laughs) so anyway i want to ask you did you expect the path of the open hand to have a larger role in this book because there is another element to this where there's a lot, there's like a Russian doll of like who is causing the mayhem, right? Because right, right, right. we learn, we learn that like the path hired Tilson Graf and then Tilson Graf enlisted the help of the brothers of the ninth door. And then the brothers of the ninth door are like shapeshifters so they can make themselves look like, you know, Aram's soldiers who like planted a bomb somewhere or what whatnot. And it creates a lot of hijinks and a lot of finger pointing and is really the culprit of like, you know, there's a lot of biases already in place and uh, the brothers are able to capitalize on that and create Mm. a greater sense of paranoia within the peace negotiations, which leads to, you know, Ambassador Xerox, like really distrusting everybody. And um, Ambassador Tintac also dies in this. So it's like a whole, like a slew of bad things happening. 
But I, I thought the path was going to play a larger role because we knew they were going to Jeddah. And again, this maybe is, a, is an expectation problem, but did you like what? How did you feel about the path's involvement in this and the way that the leveler was even utilized in certain parts? Yeah, I, I think it, I was a little bit surprised about that as well. And, and also where I found myself a little bit confused um, because we know the path of the open hand and we know um, in, uh, we know what they're capable of salute you characters in path of deceit um <laughs> we kind of know what they're capable of and they continue to get scarier and scarier kind of as we get to see them more right and i guess yes that i did expect a little bit more and i think the russian doll here with both the brothers in the ninth door and tilson graf uh made it a little bit more difficult to understand what the path was doing i did think it was really interesting from the path's point of view when when the mother is like really openly antagonistic of Salandra um, and like very accusatory towards her and kind of, um, of course, where Marta Rowe is back in it with like the Jedi are doing this and that's why we're having problems and telling that to the littles and that like becoming a bigger thing. Um, but like, I, I kind of liked their point of view. Like I felt their point of view was clear um, as the path, but I thought the way we got to the action was uh perhaps needlessly complicated. Yeah, I did think their point of view was also pretty clear. And um, yeah, I just thought they were going to play more of a part. And I mean, the leveler was on the loose, so it did start to level. Um, I know there is at one <laughs> the point you can hear the noises. Leveling. leveling. Uh, <laughs> there's actually, uh, I love there's this one quote from uh, Marta, I believe it is, uh, or even the, uh, the mother. Yeah, the mother says this. And um, Marta is reprimanding not Nati, um, who's one of the littles, I believe, that she's looking after. And she talks about how Kevma was misguided, um, even though he was a good person. And the idea that if the Jedi save a life, someone else has to die to restore the balance. And Marta ends up giving Salandra Show a flower as an invitation to join the path and learn the error of her ways. And it's like, well, if she doesn't understand or she doesn't want to join us, then the Force will find a way to balance her crimes, too quote mm. to level itself end quote Ooh. and i was like oh, that's so interesting how like the idea of leveling the force like we haven't really heard that kind of i mean we've heard the terminology the leveler and all that but um to hear the word balance and leveling in the same sentence i thought was very interesting um, it's so, so yucky yeah. yeah it really is it's like <laughs> uh, anyway it, it makes yeah, me also um, worried for salandra in the future right like the idea that salandra right. could be leveled if 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 the path of the open hand is to be believed, but um, I did like how they were, they were present in this book. I do wish they were, they were performing a little more mayhem so openly, and maybe they don't want to show all their cards too soon. Um, I'm honestly surprised they didn't get caught doing more bad stuff um, right. because like they, they are so like extreme and they have such a, a strong point of view, um, especially within the context of the convocation of the force, which is like the whole, um, the council with all the different uh, viewpoints and philosophies and religions and um, but they are on the watch list at the end of this, you know, like Salandra and Creighton right. are going to go after them and try to figure out what they're doing because Salandra sensed the leveler. She sensed some sort of muddledness within the force when she was around the mother and around the path, which is obviously the leveler. She doesn't know it yet. 
Right, which is like, oh no, girl, I know what's going on here. Don't get too close. That was yeah. me like that whole time. I was like, don't do it. Um, Curiosity yeah, killed like... the cat. Don't do it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Painful laughter. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that it's interesting that this was kind of just the the oh shit moment for the Jedi, but just in a minor sort of way, if that makes sense. Right. They're kind of like, oh, wait, I have a suspicion. Hmm. You know, and I think I expected a little bit more like, oh, they're bad, bad, actually. Um, but, you know. And maybe that's kind of the point, right? The Jedi realize it far too late. And that is the, <laughs> one, of the, one of the downfalls of the Jedi in general throughout the galactic history is they just realize things way too, way too late, way too far in advance. Or not, right. not far in advance enough. Um, so, and I wonder too, like the end of, of uh, Path of Deceit, we do get some investigating going on on Dalna, um, and we, you know, they find some husked figures. So, like, <laughs> I think if you put two and two together, they're gonna realize something bad's going on. So, um, I, I would expect that in Path of Vengeance, um, which prominently features the uh, Dalna and 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 uh, Marta Rowe and Planet X. There's gonna be a lot of stuff going on. So. And we'll, we'll get to some of those future works at the end of this episode, but. I will say like, and I know I'm perhaps jumping ahead here in the conversation, but like one thing this book was really successful at was like, I was like, okay, bring on Cataclysm right now, right now. I need to know, you know, because, because this did set us back at square one um, in terms of the peace versus war for Iriam and Arono. Um, I was like, oh shit, we've really gotten ourselves in a pickle, haven't we? And so I, I really am energized to figure out where they go from here. And, and, uh, it, it, you know, it doesn't seem good. That's for sure. For these characters. Not at all. I, I think the piece falling apart was a very uh, predictable thing just because of how long the war has been going on for. Well, Maybe I'm just knew. like too much of an optimist in this sense. I'm like, oh yeah, they're gonna Maybe. find peace. Love cures all. Everything is fine. But you know what? I should have known better, considering the second book is called fucking Cataclysm. Okay, <laughs> Cataclysm. But I was like, things are gonna be great. Yay! It was a bit of whiplash coming out of like Convergence, being like, wow, incredible book, ten out of ten. Love unites all, and then being like, JK doesn't. Uh, and. <laughs> I think I think there will still be some sense of infighting, you know, like the ambassadors are going back to their I mean, I guess Ambassador Serox is going back to her world and she you know, they're going to have to deal uh Ziri and Fonsu are gonna have to deal with the fallout of of what happened on Jeddah and it's like, okay, well how do we instill trust in the people again? Because like maybe the marriage is not enough because mm. the people of these planets have been asked to fight this war for so long and they've lost so much and it's like how do you just turn around and trust the what has been your enemy? Um, just because some monarchs monarchs are getting married and they tell you to, right? So that's that's right. sort of like the struggle here of the everyday people is like, can you really work past those biases? And can you? It's like I think at one point Creighton says like there's two um, there's two types of people um, on these worlds, and it's like people who oh yeah, it's those who no longer understand how to stop fighting and those who hunger for peace, right? And I think the mm. people who no longer understand how to stop fighting are like probably a very overwhelming majority in some ways. And I think the urge to fight is much easier to give into than the urge to find peace. And that's like such a thing with star Wars, right? Is like, how do you, 
how do you throw down your weapon and like stand up for who you love and what you believe in? Right. It's like what Luke Skywalker does. He doesn't give in. He doesn't fight the emperor. He throws away his weapon and just says like, I love my dad. And that's what, that's what saves the rebellion. Right. It's that simple. So I don't know. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough battle for Aram and Arano. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting because of course, that's something like these emotions reflect directly into the real world. And I think that we all deal with this on a, on a daily basis, whether you, you know, feel that fear and that anger and that heartbreak and, and, um, all those feelings or whether you're going to shift focus a little bit and frame things differently. And I think for the Jedi, especially in the higher public area, when they haven't had to deal with some of these conflicts in the ways that our prequel and, you know, and there on after Jedi have, uh, you know, they feel largely that they've have a command over their emotions. We have the way, um, seeker, right. Way seeker, not wayfinder in this case. Oh my God. My brain's Right. Okay. I will, I will never just be confident about that. Um, way seeker system in place so that like when they don't feel like their emotions and their point of view aligns with the, uh, with the Jedi, that they're able to go on a different path and refine that for themselves. Like, so there are things in place where people are able to work it out a bit more than our prequel Jedi. But what's so interesting about the entirety of the higher Republic and this story as well, is that it's grappling with the idea of fear uh, as this um, unstoppable force, right? Like the way that these phase one books ended, like every time and even into phase two, it's like, and for the first time ever, he felt fear. For the first time ever, this other character feels this overwhelming sense of dread and fear and things are bad. And that, and that feeling, you know, as we saw through all of phase one, really, really alarms the Jedi, like it really messes with their head because they're so un, unused to, um, like actually having that emotion and not being able to process it. Um, and so I think that's, what's interesting kind of about, you know, these stories in phase two as well as they're kind of, there's a, there's a greater sense of curiosity and, uh, wanting to search for that hope and search for that. Um, that resolution and like that was the whole kind of genesis of of both of our kind of key phase two wave one stories which the YA and adult novel so like in the YA novel um the Jedi are are, are really interested kind of in what the path is doing and 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 Kevmo like really had a sense of openness towards learning more about the path of the open hand it was that it was that reaching that handout of connection even if they disagreed on their point of view and by the end of the book uh he's not doing so well he's dead he's dead um and you know in this story and in, in, in uh convergence all of the titles are just all the names all the titles in my brain are just not happening today i'm so sorry i'm like they're <laughs> all they're all c's they're all you know everybody i don't know anyway in convergence uh you know, we have Ziri and Fontu who are making a really big, bold, courageous choice to choose that peaceful option, to choose that hope for peace. And we see that brought into this story with the fact that they're going to sign this peace treaty. So there's a desire to like extend that, that, um, open-minded hand and like path of the open hand. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to actually do that in that way, but, um, to extend that olive branch and to seek an understanding and every single time they do it, 
any of these characters, they just get beat down, you know, in one way or another. It doesn't, it never goes the way that they expect it to. And so uh, no wonder, you know, like by the time that we know the Jedi very well in um, the prequel times that like, that is not even something they're dealing with anymore in the same way that Sim kind of openness, they're kind of rigid in their beliefs and not really listening to themselves. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I just went on a very long, uh, you know, step stool soapbox moment trying to obtain peace is hard like it's it's not a very easy thing to do and i just think in a galaxy where people want to inherently fight and they're and they're bred to fight in some ways or they're raised to be fighters especially like on planets like uh uh Arano, when you get characters like ziri who is like a you know a general in an army and her dad was a fighter and they're very like hard-fought warriors you can't show emotions like uh it's it's tough it's tough to like change course to what you've been raised to believe and um i think creighton makes a point to be like you know why is every attempt at peace so hard and like why is it always end in ruin and ada says it's just uh the cost of peace like that it's hard fought and it hurts because it's worthwhile and worth fighting for right so it's tough because there's always going to be a fight to have peace it's just a matter of like which which side does that fight give into? Is it like more fighting or is it the actual peace? And unfortunately right. in this book, it's just more fighting and more war. And I, I don't uh, envy the position that Ziri and Fonsu are going to be in and neither with the Republic too, because the Republic kind of gets meddled in all of this as well with Creighton making his big speech at the end to have everybody put down their weapons, even though that means they're going to get court-martialed. Right. So mm. despite the Jedi's attempts to be, mediators and all of this and to kind of just be there in case shit hits the fan which it does like they also kind of got way too involved with all of this uh and i wonder if that's going to have some blowback as well um but i do want to make note too of like one of uh creighton's conversations with uh, i believe it's with ada and they're talking about how they had to create these ambassadors for these two planets because yeah uh, there weren't ever any ambassadors on aram and Arano. Um, because the political classes folded into the military because of how long the war was going on for. So they're like, there wasn't a need for a political class and uh, lifelong politicians were becoming generals. And, and Creighton makes a point to say that would never happen to the Republic. They stand for peace and unity, not division. I just find that fascinating <laughs> that <laughs> on the clown makeup. <laughs> yeah. Creighton, Creighton, you never say that, man. You never say that would never happen to the Republic Republic because it does. Uh, obvious foreshadowing of the Clone Wars, like, you know, the, the Jedi folding into becoming generals and commanders uh, from peacekeepers and they have to fight a war and uh, creates more division and it creates planets wanting to leave the Republic because of this. Um, in some ways, the Clone Wars is the forever war of the prequel trilogy, right? It's a war that just right. never ends, and um, and people are are distrusting on all sides, and it leads to the creation of the Empire because there are so many cracks in the infrastructure from this war, right? So, I just found that I found that very interesting, uh, very obvious foreshadowing, um, and it just sort of shows that like history repeats itself, right? Mm -hmm. Especially in in the Star War galaxy yeah i mean just in general too um but yeah i thought that was a really fascinating kind of point of view like or understanding of of iriam and Arono as places who are dealing with this because what i think it i think it magnifies like the 
the kind of audacity of Ziri and Fantu to try and seek peace through this marriage, but it also just really illuminates the gaps in um, the rebuilding process. Like it is really difficult to do. And you're also trying to create completely new infrastructures and, um, and ways of going about things uh, with a, with a public that may not be so willing to um, adapt to the change that they're kind of being subjected to immediately. Um, So yeah, of course, Creighton's quote is hilarious uh, in context and also like laughing and crying at the same time, um, sort of a situation. But uh, the it also illuminates how fragile the situation between Irium and Arono is for, you know, not only Ziri and Fontu, but the, the everyday citizens and for these ambassadors who are now having to navigate a new role that they may or may not actually really feel confident about or want to do. Xerox was a really interesting character because when Tintac dies, I feel like all logic goes out the window right. um, and it's just emotion because Xerox is like, she says, quote, you think the people of Irem cares about what those trumped up royals have to say about any of this? We followed them to hell, right? Like we fought this war. People died fighting this war. And now you're telling us to stop fighting and all those who are lost are going to be forgotten. Like, no chance. No chance we're going to just do that. Like, we're going to continue fighting. Or else everybody who we lost have no, like, their sacrifice means nothing or, like, has no purpose. And it's unfortunate that it's a little bit of a flawed thinking because it's like, I mean, yes, those lives were lost, but, like, are, what, what is the cost of losing even more lives, right? Like, how long do you continue mm. fighting to say, like, they can't die for nothing, right? And then, like, more people just keep dying versus, like, when is the time to just, like, actually extend your hand and offer peace right and Syrax doesn't really see that and it's just interesting to call call Ziri and Fontu trumped up royals right like is that a large sentiment that's held by the public like mm-hmm. oh we're just supposed to follow these two uh these two like people who come from a really well-off family and didn't even show up to the peace negotiations like they are still on their planet like living lavish lives and we're out here actually negotiating peace and like trying to sign these contracts and they don't even show up like what does that show the public what is the perception of that and i think for xerox it's very negative it's a negative one and she's just like good luck trying to convince any of us that this is worth it especially after what just happened on jetta yeah yeah i think it kind of really puts a nail in the coffin for probably the public here, which is probably why the Beck's book is called Cataclysm. It is, again, it's not so good. It's not so good. Um, I would I would love to kind of talk about another group at play here that adds a bit of complication. Can we can we jump to the Santecas and the graphs? Oh yes, please. Because we're getting everybody here. So we've got the Jedi. We've got you know various Force religions and things we got jedi the location we got the path of the open hand we've got Ariam and arono and their representatives and we also have the santacas and the graphs okay there's a lot happening politically here and i think that actually is really interesting that both um convergence and this book have been quite political and like dealing with a lot of politics we know we love the star wars politics at play um we do yes this it was I was surprised to get as much politics as we did in this book, actually. Um, but the Santecas and the Graphs, we know that they have a complicated history and that they also don't have the best reputations 
all the time. Uh, and I find it interesting that they have a Santeca join them um, as like their mediator, right? For this peace treaty. Doesn't go well. Not so well. Morton, uh, add Morton another Santeca? another <laughs> another Santeca to the death tally. <laughs> right. This family um, cannot catch a break. Not even Lore Santeca in the sequel trilogy. Every Santeca we know dies. Don't, uh, don't hurt me like that. I love Lore Santeca. Okay. We just I feel la, like the Santeca yeah, family is like a meme at this point. You know, it's like a and Santeca like a exists. Shirt. Yeah, like they just it's know, like, like Kenny <laughs> from South Park. Like Kenny dies every single episode of South Park. And now it's like, anytime you see a Santeca, expect them to immediately die at some point. Because like, oh, Sunshine right Dobbs kills a Santeca in, uh, what is it, um, Path of Deceit? Like, yeah. We've had two <sighs> dead Santecas. Oh, too God. many. It's too many. Too many. Anyway, uh, anyway uh, Morton Santeca's dead in the explosion, and that leaves them with a hole. And who's going to fill that hole? Oh, Oh, my name is Tilson Graf, and I just am here because I like to be near history, historical events. I just, it's really interesting to me. I'm just here. I'm just, it's chill. It's cool. I have no ulterior motives at all. I'm just a really nice, upstanding guy who is actually a little bit estranged from my family due to some stuff, and nothing <laughs> bad is going to happen. Oh, my gosh. And I was Never like, Never trust a graph. No. Graphs? Graft. <laughs> Listen, I'm Team Santeca all the way. Me too. I mean, Lord Santeca. He introduced me personally to the Kays Rat device. Okay, this is a, we're we're on good terms. Me and the Santecas. You know, the the Santecas who lived on Naboo were on good terms. Okay, the Grafts are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck boys, extraordinaire. Just asshats, yeah. extraordinaire. Just like bad, not very nice people. Um, generally and. Uh, Man, and it seems like maybe this uh, this race for the hyperspace lanes is a little bit not as fair as it should be because I don't think the graphs are playing by the rules. Uh, in Absolutely not. Yeah, but I I just remember starting this story and until and graph and um his talking on the transport that ends up you know almost crashing and then not uh kind of flirting with like, Salandra. Yeah, yeah, too. yeah. Uh, and he was like, I just like to witness historical events. That's why I'm here. And I immediately like clocked that, but didn't like think more about it. Like I just hung on to that. And then I was like, this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. What a scumbag. The graphs. I mean, Xylan graph we know too is just bad news from uh, Justina's book out of the shadows when we meet he him. What uh, a guy. The graphs continue <laughs> to be just crazy. And they're, you know, they're competing families who each want to, uh prospect new hyper hyperspace lanes and profit off of that and so there's a race to do that and i wonder if those two families are gonna in some sense be in a race to get to planet x or find that you know we heard planet x is this like planet at the edge of wild space or at the edge of space that is full of richness and treasures and everybody wants to get there um so i think they will come back into play and we know we know the path or i guess uh Marie, uh, not Marie Santeca. Yeah, Marie Santeca is the one who holds the path and the knowledge of the paths mm -hmm. for the Roe family. So I was like, is she going to get involved at the end of this phase? Are we going to get some answers there as to when Marie Santeca was kidnapped by by Roe's family? Is Marta the one to kidnap Marie Santeca and start the even greater conflict between the Grafs and the, the Santecas? Because um, I believe the Santecas point fingers at the Grafs for what happened. I believe 
Um, so I'd be curious to see if that's something that we're going to actually witness, um, especially now that we are back in time. I feel like that has to come in, come into play. Um, I do want to pitch an idea to you, Sarah. Do you think yeah. Jude Law is playing uh, a young Laura Santeca in Skeleton Crew? Because I, I am becoming more you convinced You said every those day. words to me before. You've said those words to me before, and I immediately uh, purged them <laughs> from my mind. And you might be listening and go, why, Sarah? Because if Laura Santeca is getting involved, I want good dialogue for him, okay? <laughs> Valid, okay valid point. and i just feel like there's been some good dialogue in live action and some less good dialogue in live action you know valid and, point valid point and i just want him to have really good dialogue so i accept i accept the potential that i think it'd be cool if he came back although i would really like jude law to stop playing younger versions of characters because uh, oh that's right because he played young dumbledore I forgot about and that. And that's a whole <laughs> other can of worms. Yeah. Um, that I will not open today. Uh, you know. Although that, if he's that, playing a young Laura Santeca, there's the opportunity for the Kazerath device is all I'm saying. Don't he, you, you're, you can't make me feel this way when the dialogue is not going to be what the Kazerath device deserves. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know yet we don't know yet but i i actually have a huge hunch that that is his character um it'd be interesting, it'd be interesting. yeah especially if it's a mando like, timeline it's real it's bit of time why, before force is, awakens why i'm you not know? as excited about it as i could be here um but also you know we love the legends of luke skywalker i do like the idea it's like the the one adult shuttling around a group of kids who are telling stories like i don't know yeah i don't know it could be, um, it could be really interesting so we'll see for, legends so um i'm anyway. here for it i'm here for it jude law anyway. is awesome i'm glad we have him in star wars but um but yeah that's pretty much all we had to say about the santecas and, and the grass but um poor santeca family mari santeca being kidnapped as a young girl and then used for her entire life to make paths for the nile is bad news also yeah, I won't derail to that in this conversation. I'll derail to it in another conversation. Just the path of the open hand into the Nile uh, storyline. But like, when when does the when does what is his name Asgaro? Yeah, when does he come into the picture here? You know, because we know that the ship is called the Gaze Electric. We know right. that Mari is a bit over a hundred years old by the time that we meet her in yep. Phase One. So like, we are probably like just a couple decades out from this. Yeah, potentially. Um, I think, I think Marta is going to be the one that gets a hold of uh, Maria Santeca. I think it's going to be happening very soon. I could be wrong, but I, I feel like she will be involved somehow. It'd be so, interesting. It'd be interesting. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about, you know, the, the setting. And we've talked about, um, Jeddah quite a bit but I just want to talk about like the meaning of the setting the kyber mirrors the dome of deliverance can we talk about that for just a minute here before we hop into some of the characters in the story yeah absolutely uh is it the room of requirement again I hate that I have brought up Harry Potter twice on this episode but like did you get major like room of requirement uh mirror of era said uh yes from a hundred percent totally did yeah 100 percent. yeah that's exactly what i thought of because the mirror um p3 
says what one sees as a mirror is not a true reflection of the self. It is merely a mirage, an impression of the person you really are. You must look beyond the mirror to find what you truly seek. Um, and likewise, Salandra Show looks in the mirror, uh, the Kyber mirrors, and sees her old Padawan Pelif, um, mm-hmm. who's the Padawan that she lost, right? So P3 is making this point as he's spending much of the book uh, saying all these random uh, religious, spiritual, philosophical takes because he was an old ceremonial droid on Jedha. Um, but it was really interesting because like, yeah, you look in the mirror and you see what you desire, but is it really what you desire on the surface? Like things are kind of more nuanced than they might appear. Uh, I think of like when you look in the car, a car mirror, <laughs> things are closer <laughs> yeah, right, than they right. might appear. Right. And so is a, is her lost Padawan, uh, what Salandra really craves for, or is it a uh, connection? Is it love? Is it kinship that she really is desiring? And maybe she is missing that because she's not she's not quite over her old Padawan. Um, and maybe Keth is the person that she really attaches to in the story. Like Keth is somebody who she sort of finds a kinship with and a friendship with. And uh, his death really hits her in a profound way. And she tries to tell his story past his own death um, and share like who he was and what he accomplished and what he stood for. Um, and maybe that's what she's realizing in this book is like, I have to get past that sense of loss and see like what I can do with the people around me and who I can, who I can share in with new memories and, and new experiences. And, and, um, you know, that's what I, what I can do is what I can control today versus like what I can't control is what happened before. I can't keep blaming myself. Yeah. I think her going to the Kyber mirrors, uh, allows her to kind of realize that for herself and that she is able to move forward after Keth's death. Um, and, and, I don't know. I just, I worry about her a little bit because I don't know. She's kind of just had a bad bag handed to her with almost being leveled and her Padawan dying and, um, then Keth dying. Uh, and like, how, how do you kind of move on from that and uplift rather than bring everybody down with you and in, in the, the pain of that? Um, anyway, so I actually think that's like a great transition to talk about the character of Keth, a uh, seraphath and, um, to talk about his role in the story because I think he's kind of a linchpin of the story he's a really key character he connects us to different parts of the story with the enlightenment club with uh the jedi and with like the conflict that's happening and uh he also becomes in many ways like the hero of this story uh so you know we were talking earlier about not knowing who the central figure is it might be keth um in this case but um yeah, what did you think about Keth and his introduction and loss in the story and kind of how it all played out? Keth is interesting. I think he is definitely an optimist. He looks on the bright side of life and and I think he wants to make a difference. And I also think that he doesn't feel like he's making enough of a difference because of his his situation and like the job that he has and he feels like he could be doing more. So he sort of like represents it's it's almost like if Luke just stayed on Tatooine, like continuing the moisture farm, like that is Keth, I think in some ways, Mm. right? Like always looking to the horizon and never, never where you are. And like maybe the impact that you are having, even if you feel like you're not reaching your full potential. Right. Cause like there's always something that as a person you can be doing each and every day to, to leave an impact and to, and to make a positive influence, like just like random acts of kindness or just an attitude or how you make people feel. 
Um, I think that honestly, like, I think people are remembered not for the things they achieve, but for how they made people feel. Like, I, I am a firm believer in that because you can, you can do all the nicest things on the surface, but like, if you're a terrible person at your heart and you, people have bad experiences with you, like that is the legacy that you leave. Right. And so there's this idea of like, what is, what is Keth's larger purpose? And he makes a sacrifice to rescue Salandra from getting killed by a, a brother of the ninth door. And, um, he, he dies for it, but, um, you know, he thinks that hit, that his sacrifice is what he'll be remembered for, but really it's much more than that, which is sort of what the prefix is talking to Salandra about. Did you want to talk about this quote and we can kind of talk about the idea of legacy and, and how it relates to Kath and also like how it might relate to larger, larger than Kath characters like, you know, Luke and so on. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Let me, bef- I think we should jump into that. And, and I think that what's interesting about this character is that we do get introduced to him and we lose him in the same story. And so, I do think that like the value in his character comes from the larger conversation because I don't know if I felt like I really truly connected with him um, or saw his role in the story as early on as maybe I should have by the fact how he was focused. Um, Like I liked him, but I, once we got to kind of him speechifying at the end before his death and then the force music is playing over it, I'm like, Oh, this feels a little heavy handed to me. Um, But then we were talking off air just before we started recording about him and and you talking about like the value and the connections to other stories. And I went, Oh, you know, he started to make a lot more sense to me as a character. Um, and also just like his value as a star Wars character. So without further ado, this quote, do not mourn for white. Never what might never be master show celebrate what has already been. What he never understood was that he made a difference every day. He touched the lives of all of us here in the church. Yes. He swept the floors and changed the water and lit the candles, but in their own way, those small acts have a huge impact on the lives of the people here. We, all of us leave more of an impression on our small corner of the galaxy than we know that his own story has now come to an end means only that he is complete, that the tale is written and he has now chosen how how wished to be remembered how he wished to be remembered yes isn't that all of us any oh pardon me isn't all nope isn't that all of us any (laughs) no (laughs) no why can't i get the sense this is great great. that's okay great content isn't that all any of us can hope for i got it i got it it took me eight tries but you know like wow um so i want you to kind of kick off this conversation about like the larger perspective here uh please yeah keth is like such an ordinary character right and i think in many ways he felt that he was ordinary and not extraordinary right and it's all about perspective it's about your perception defining your reality as qui-gon says so like if you you might not see the value in like all the small things that you do every single day but like they do like again like they do have a larger impact like just being nice to people is so much more valuable than like presenting to be nice on the surface through good deeds because you want to appear nice right it's like Mm, mm. um it's all about intent and i think keth is somebody who tried his best and did everything he could to like leave a good impression he was very like committed to his droid like p3 is somebody that he really admired and um, took took care of yeah and he had such a close attachment to and people seem to have such a good impression of keth so 
it's the idea that like you can leave an impact and it's sometimes uh an impact that you might not realize and i think of galadriel when she says like even the smallest person can change the course of the future right like who would have mm. thought a hobbit from the shire would trek across the entirety of middle earth and like save everything by dropping a ring into the fires of mordor like who would have thought that like nobody right um and so i think for keth uh i i kind of honed in on that he swept the floors but those acts have a huge impact on the lives of the people here i think of broom boy from last jedi right like broom mm. boy is such a unextraordinary character but he represents so much more because we know that he is force sensitive but he is just sweeping the floors and minding his business and who knows what's in store for broom boy right like does he get out of his situation and have a larger impact or does he just continue to make a really positive impact on kanto bite and you know like even if he never gets off that planet if he can make a, a positive impact on his peers and and you know do some good deeds every day like Maybe that's purpose enough for him. And like, he still holds hope that there is something larger for him out there, but he continues to do the good things anyways, because it's what's right and what he believes in. Yeah. I, I mean, I thought that was a great comparison to Broom Boy because I mean, ugh, it, I mean, that makes me feel already so much warmer about Kath as a character because, you know, Broom Boy is the love of my life. Sweetest baby child with will protect, you know, with my entire being, you know, jump in front of a bullet for Broom Boy. Um, but you're right. Like these, the prefix is right too. Like these minor, minor things really impacted others. And it, it wasn't about, it wasn't about anything other than just doing, doing the thing because it was the thing to be done and because it's the right thing to be done. Um, and so I really like that. And, and you also mentioned like Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi, literally projecting the image of himself that he wanted to be remembered by. So like the value of choosing one's own story uh, and one's own, um, you know, path, I think is really valuable because that, that intent, you know, matters. Totally. Uh, choosing like the last point here, like choosing how you wish to be remembered, isn't that any of us could hope for? Um, there is a lot of value in that, right? Because like if you, if you aren't given the ability to choose how you're remembered, or if you just choose not to care, right? You kind of like, you kind of like recede into obscurity. And I think in some ways, like we make the comparison to Luke from The Last Jedi. Luke was a character who was uh, totally obscure in the galaxy and people had forgotten him. He was just a myth, a legend, as Ray thought, right? He, she didn't actually think he was a real person. So mm -hmm. his, his legacy, uh, the tale of Luke Skywalker was fading from existence. It was weak and literally he projects a version of himself that he wishes to be remembered by not the version that he is like the, the the version of himself currently is one that failed ben or um you know has watched his whole temple burn down and he is like the sum of all of his failures at this point right but like if he's like if i can just project one final version of myself that is is how i would have want to be remembered had i not made all those mistakes right had i had i not just been the legend of Luke Skywalker, right? But have I had I been somebody who was just simply inspiring hope by doing a good thing and not striking down my nephew and not fighting my nephew in a way? Like he doesn't ever like right? He just dodges all of Kylo's uh he does the thing that he does to Vader, right? He throws away his weapon. He doesn't fight and he doesn't fight Kylo. And that is his legacy, right? He never fought. He just stood down the first order and said, like, no rebellion lives. Hope survives. Like that's all I have to do. I just have to inspire enough hope. I don't actually have to use my laser sword and kill my nephew and like take down 10 adats. Like that's not, 
that's not a legacy, right? Again, we talk about big, bombastic deeds versus just being a nice person, right? And what does mm-hmm. Luke do? He shows up and he apologizes to Kylo Ren. He just, he's just a nice person at the end of his life. He finds peace and purpose in that. He doesn't need to be a fighter. Um, he needs to be a source of hope. Uh, and I think in some ways, like that's Keth, right? Like Keth shows yeah, up. Exactly. Exactly. He doesn't, he, he's not a good fighter. He just shows up and like makes a speech and helps save Salandra show. And that's all he could have hoped for in his whole life. Um, but it is a shame that he never maybe realized the value in all the small things that he did throughout his daily life. Um, and luckily mm. Salandra is the one who can tell that story and maybe help others realize that the things you do in everyday life do matter and have purpose. And uh, even if you might not see the purpose in that, right? Like the, like doing this podcast, right? We do this podcast for fun and it is a hobby, but maybe there's somebody out there who really enjoys that podcast. And like, it brings a, you know, brings a light to their day. Like I have those podcasts where I get a new episode and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know? So just small things that you can do and like, you know, provide a positive impact. That's all you can hope for. That's kind of what we do here. That's what we try to do for all we, of you who listen. You we know? try. I mean, I'm I'm just always glad to have these conversations with you and like get to be your friend. And uh, it, it's a, I experience a lot of gratitude in the fact that people listen or enjoy or care. So, um, you know, anyway, bring it back to Kath. I, I, I think that like thinking about him in the larger context of the story, because he is a rather small character within the grand scheme of things. Uh, is really valuable for understanding like the ethos of star Wars and, and understanding, you know, so many of these key themes, but also I, I do think for Salandra, it allows her to look forward with an uplifting mindset. Um, and how can she uplift others, um, including Rupert and like fellow Jedi and just other people. Um, and I like that a lot. So thank you for recontextualizing the character of Keth for me. Um, because I was, I felt a little mid about him <laughs> for a while and now I feel much better about him. Yeah. And thankfully for Salandra, I think that you hit the nail on the head there. She has a much more, uh, uplifted outlook. Um, in a way she's like Luke too, right? She kind of gets out of her, uh, you know, wallowing in sorrow for her lost Padawan. And it's like, no, like what can you do today to make a difference? Exactly. Like what can you do? Like Keth, Keth stayed the path and kept doing good things despite the shitty situation he was in. So like, you have no excuse. Like you're a Jedi, right? Like you are the, you are the leader of the galaxy, like the role model for all things that are good and positive. It's like, what can you do? Right. Um, and that's sort of what's next for all these characters, right? Like we know at the end of the story that Creighton and, um, and Salandra are getting the permission from the council to go chase down the path of the open hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Dalna and to investigate them, which oh god, oh no, oh god, <laughs> doesn't feel oh, good. God. Doesn't feel no. good. Feels bad, man. Um, and uh, I think bad things are in store for uh, Irem and Arano because, uh, according to the Cataclysm uh, synopsis, uh, it says here that violence reignites on the beleaguered worlds. So Fontu and Ziri are going to have their hands full. Um. And it's just going to be a bad time at the end of this phase. But I do want to make note of one line that Creighton says at the end of the story, which is the unresolved past always has a way of coming back to haunt you. Uh, And this is in response to, uh, you know, joking about Jetta and he just wishes like they could leave Jetta behind or that they could just forget about it completely. Um, And I think that line is totally the impetus of phase two, right? Because um, the Jedi in phase one never resolve the past right um and 
we know the egg, the whole egg, egg hashtag egg oh, talk. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> past and present must split and combine, right? So the unresolved past is that like in phase one of the High Republic, the question is like, what do the Jedi fear? And the Jedi have not resolved that fear. They forgot what they fear. So when that fear comes back and for the first time ever, Stellan Geos feels fear, it's because the Jedi don't feel fear. They forget it. They forget mm. what, what happened in phase two. They don't resolve that past and it comes back to haunt them in ways they never would have expected. Right. Um, right. And this is the line where I think I'm going to speculate here a little bit at the end of Midnight Horizon. Remember Yoda comes back with all of the heroes and he brings back a figure with him, a hooded figure that we don't know who it is. I think it's Creighton's son. Oh, my I think God. It's I think it's Creighton's what? son. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I think it's Creighton's son oh. because I think that we have to think about that character that Yoda brings back. We don't know who it is has to be somebody from phase two who's going to know what happened and who's going to know how to resolve that past. And so I think this Brad. line right here for me basically cements that that is Creighton's son and he's going to come back to phase three and help the Jedi. He might be, he might be one of the people who leaves the Jedi order. Who knows? So I think he is, again, I could be wrong. That's my, that's my hot take. That's my, that's my speculation here. I have Sarah has picked up her microphone. Picked up the microphone. <laughs> I'm I'm a little shook by the idea of this prediction. Wow. What do you make of that though? The unresolved past coming back to haunt you. Like I think that that is a very layered quote. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um especially in the context of Star Wars and, and Jedi. The unresolved past comes back to haunt you. I mean, yeah. We know that within the context of the right here and right now that Cataclysm is a book with a title called Cataclysm and that we're going back to Ariam and Arono and things are back to square one as in their shit and everybody has to deal with that. So that's, that's unresolved at this point. Um, the Jedi dealing with their emotions, that's something that's always unresolved. Um, there, there's a lot of ways that you can take this and I'm really thinking now about phase two or phase one and then Comac running away and also now the idea of Creighton Sun or anybody from phase two coming back in phase one and the implications of somebody who has that knowledge, but thus far has not used it. Um, I think is also Yoda was, is he's alive right now. Right. And Yaddle, Yaddle's going to be in cataclysm by the way. Okay. Yaddle, Queen Yaddle, um, and King Yoda of the unnamed species they're a part of. Um, <laughs> they're alive during this time. So why have they not worked harder to solve the problem? Anyway, not my business, you know, not my conflict, but, um, hmm, Crane's son showing up. Could be hmm. interesting. I'm like really thinking mm. about it now. Like I'm standing up and I'm pacing. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is not good yeah. podcast recording technique. I feel like one of those YouTubers that holds their own microphone right now. Um, <laughs> Instead of like, <laughs> but like I'm thinking about it. I'm so sorry. Like I'm just derailed in like the shock. Anyway, you say something else, please. I just think I I can't wait to figure out who that is, and I, I feel like maybe not enough people are talking about that figure that shows up. Mm. Um, I think that again is going to be the, whoever whoever that is 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 going to be the the key to all of this. Um, we need somebody Probably. like you said with that knowledge. And that mysterious hooded figure that's with Yoda, I just pulled up our show notes from Midnight Horizon. They say they'll do what they can, they'll do what they must, but when they do find you, all you'll be is dust. Like they are they are uttering 
the Shrika Rakarai, you know, like, oh my they know God, some, they know something, right? Like they, they know, know something who the level is maybe, and like what it is. But they're maybe also not in the best mental state at this point. If Correct. They're right. Yeah. You I think know they're traumatized. And like, yeah. who better to be traumatized maybe than maybe Creighton's son who watched Salandra go, who watched Ada Fort go, who, 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 with the permission of the council, tracks down the path of the open hand. Oh, stop it. And everybody around him dies and he's the only survivor, stop right? Oh like, my God, stop. Imagine that. Literally. Imagine how horrible that existence is. Literally stop talking right now. <laughs> <laughs> we know that the High Republic is pain. And like, I, I was never more reminded of that than like, well, look at this nice, nice YA book about this religious cult and these young <laughs> Jedi. And oh my God, they're all dead. And, and I really don't need to go through that again, actually, with the open hand. Not the open yeah. hand. Um, it could be Solandra like too. A, this could be a Solandra. We don't know the, we don't know the gender of the character too. So like, it could be, could be anybody. Honestly, I'd be really upset if it were Solandra because, you know, she's worked so hard to like get out of her pit of despair about her first Padawan and now she's got her second Padawan and then her friend Kef dies and then everybody else around her dies and now she's talking in the Shri Karai Karai rhymes. Like that's that's not a good trajectory for her. <laughs> if it's gonna happen to anybody, make it Creighton, I guess. I just want yeah. I just I just you know, I just want Solandra to like die of old age and be fine, you know? <laughs> just be happy have a, have right, a few right. ties you know just just have a good life but um anyways plugged for everybody to read midnight horizon it's uh my favorite book of the higher public initiative is it really can't wait for djo yeah definitely i think so i don't know that that and rising storm are just so good mine is, um, daniel jose older storm. please write another book very soon i'm so excited for whatever you yeah. might have <laughs> we love uh, djo no, books he, he's right i think he's writing uh he's writing something in phase three i think he said at New York Comic Con. I, I, he mentioned something I just can't remember. So, um, anyways, anyways, outlook not so good according to the High Republic Eight Ball. Right. There are some uh, synopsis as well for Planet X, Quester Planet X, and Path of Vengeance. Um, so um, those are out there. Uh, we won't read them off here, but if you want to go check those out somewhere, I think they probably should be on the websites now for the books. Um, things aren't looking so great uh with our characters there's gonna be there's gonna be uh there's gonna be like more graphs involved uh planet x marta row the leveler yana is gonna be back in the mix um rupert natani is gonna play a role according to these synopsis so like uh, there's a lot going on everybody's back everybody's back i hope I hope we don't lose Ruper is the is the only thing because if Solandra right. Show loses another Padawan, um, maybe that ends up she I'll ends up being the hooded like figure a, who is who's seen everything and lost rhymes. everything, you know. <laughs> um, I will say with the story, so like just to kind of close out our conversation about Battle of Jedi, like at the end of the day, I do think this story is essential for connecting wave one and wave two of phase two. It really does feel like that midpoint. It's not a it's not an audio drama that I would recommend to somebody who hasn't tackled phase two of the High Republic yet. Like I do think it's probably best with the knowledge of of the story so far. Um, but it is one that I do feel like people who are reading the High Republic should definitely pick up uh just to kind of understand the political context of of where we're going. Um so so yeah, like that that's kind of where I'm I, I end up with it is is like even though it may not be my favorite, I do think it is essential and uh is putting down some really interesting political situations and also is getting us one step closer to like the path becoming the Nile. Totally. Um yeah, even though it hasn't been my my favorite 
of the kind of higher public initiative. I do think it is still valuable to read. I'm glad I went on the journey, um, despite, you know, some of the things I would have liked to have seen, but there are still so many great things instilled in this book. And hopefully like, you know, listening to this conversation, you come away with, with both the positive and maybe the negative or the criticisms that we might've had. Um, despite all of that too, I want George Mann to write more Star Wars. Like he's a great writer. Like he's, um, quest for the hidden city was such a, a fun, uh, fun book. And um, I like having his voice as part of this initiative. Um, Dark Legends, Myths and Fables, like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, Life Day Treasury. Like he's just written so many good things. So um, so yeah, Battle Jetta manuscript is out today as of the time of this release. Um, Oh, great. Audio. I didn't realize we were on that timeline. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, it's already already here. So (laughs) Uh, Uh, I lost like a week of my life. Okay. Yeah, no, it's that's brutal out here sometimes. We're we're trying to keep track of the days as we get closer and closer to Star Wars uh celebration here. <laughs> and phase two wave two. Close. Phase two wave Very two. close. Dude Cataclysm like being in my inbox right now is like freaking me out. Yeah. Anyway. Battle Scars is up next for us and then then we'll uh divert Dive back right to in. the pain of the High Republic for sure. Why did we do this to ourselves? <laughs> Why did we join? Why did we start this journey? All I've known is pain and suffering. And now I have a full bookshelf full of like higher public books, like send help to my wallet and to my brain and my heart. My strange, my strange addiction. Sarah owns 10 copies of the rising storm for no reason. Okay. I own. Sarah's like, I can't stop buying. I own three. I own three. Don't come after me. I could own four, but I don't. Okay, I own three. I think I, I think I own four. Actually, that's so embarrassing for me. I shouldn't have bought the Target exclusive one. That was dumb. That was dumb of me, but also not dumb because it's a great cover. It's got Ember on the, on the, on the cover. <gasps> yeah, I miss Ember. I miss Belle. Soon you know, enough. Soon enough. I do like these characters a lot, but I also am very much looking forward to getting back to some of the characters that we know. But I think we need these characters in order to help us better understand you know, Avar, Elzar, totally. L, yeah, Amber, yeah. etc. Can't wait. Can't wait. Oriaga, where are you at? Anyway. Oh, <laughs> well, that about wraps it up. I think for uh, this episode on the battle of Jeddah, hopefully you enjoyed it. If you want to hear more from Sarah and I and the podcast, you can follow us on all of our socials, including Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or personally also on those platforms as well as uh, Letterboxd and Goodreads. So you can see what we're reading, what we're watching. Um, and we also, uh, are on pretty much any podcast platform you can name. So subscribe to our, our feed. So our future higher public coverage drops, uh, into your, your inbox. Uh, we got a lot of episodes coming in the next two months around the higher public. Uh, and you'll want to stay tuned to those because they're going to be good ones. Let me mm-hmm. tell you, you're mm-hmm. not going to want to miss them. Trust us. I mean, we haven't read the books yet, but once no. we do. It's over. Once it's we over do, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> I have a good feeling about some of the books coming out, though. They're going to be good ones. Definitely. Definitely. All right. We also have a Patreon where tears started just a dollar. We're very grateful for all of our patrons who truly help make the show happen. We say this week after week, but it truly is very true. Uh, the, sometimes running a podcast costs a little bit of money and you help us keep the lights on in our hobby podcast. So thank you 
to Ben, Brian, Cheryl, Clay, Deborah, Dylan, Huang, Jennifer, Knights of Ren, Leanne, Levi, Lucy, Lindsay, Rob, Saber Bouquet, Spana, Sky Talkers, Steven, Tom, Travis, and our two newest patrons, Emma and D Sizzle. Thank you guys so much for being here and for helping us out, make this podcast happen. And for just listening every single week, we appreciate you endlessly. And to anybody who listens to this episode, hi, thank you. I hope you are hydrated today and I hope you have a great day. We got lots coming on the Patreon in the next couple of months too. So if you're a huge fan of the higher public comics, uh, you'll want to go subscribe and join our Patreon because that's the only place you can hear us talk about comics. So it's true. Uh, very Brad fun and me to chaotic. Read them. No, they're good though. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all for today, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, may the force be with you always. Bye.